0: I so appreciate the help of getting this set up here and uh making water happen and making Kleenex happen. Making sure my mic doesn't fall off. Thank you, Carlene. May your tribe increase. Yeah. Figuratively. I think. <laughs> have you been blessed this morning yet? Yeah. I've just been blessed. It's been such a blessing to be uh, a part of the service this morning. Such a blessing to, to hear from uh, one of the younger bands, I think, that we have. I don't know what the average age was there, but that was, uh, uh, other than Mike, who threw it off quite a bit, it was a pretty young group. <laughs> uh, yeah, great, great job. Wasn't it a great job? To have two baby dedications today, I have a couple of Jameses. I'm wondering if these kids are going to be in high school and say, "From now on, you're going to have to call me Jimmy," and then all of them are going to be confusing. As we uh, as we share this morning, we're moving from a discussion of the Beatitudes. If you haven't caught that part of what we've been doing in Matthew chapter 5. Um, you might want to catch some review because this is going to build from there. The, the, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 is the introduction to a sermon. You've got to understand it's the introduction to a sermon. And it comes as an introduction, not the way we typically have read it. You remember, where those of you who have been here, we typically kind of read this as a deadpan, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And we just kind of get into this boring rhythm with it, but it's much more exciting. It's much more powerful than that. It's much more about how amazing things are, how, how wild, how, how cool it is, how awesome it is. Uh, to be a follower of Jesus and this covering that he provides as it goes. The real news in the introduction in the Beatitudes is that when a person turns their heart toward heaven, they're covered by the grace of God. When they begin to realize their need, that very first impulse for all of us who come to Jesus is to recognize we actually needed Him. And when that first impulse of recognition comes to us and we recognize we need desperately the, the mercies and covering and grace of God that's given. And then it walks, it covers us, it envelopes us in the growth process of our life as we move towards spiritual maturity, which in this case is defined as being a person who, like Jesus, brings mercy and peace into the relationships we are engaged with and in the lives of the people we're experiencing life with. And so I want to just say, once you know how awesome it is, Jesus moves to what is the obvious next step. Once you know how awesome it is to follow after God, Jesus moves on to the very obvious next step. He says, therefore, now that you know how cool all of this is, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again, or it will will just be thrown out and trampled underfoot? He said, your role in the world, your reason for existing, Is to be the salt of the earth. So stop and let that sink in for just a sec. The whole purpose of a follower of Christ on a planet that is bound for destruction is to be the salt, the flavor, the the perseverance, the, the, the opportunity on that planet. The whole reason. The whole reason we exist. So we know, no matter what we think our reason is, no matter what we claim is our reason, and there are lots of gifts and lots of experiences and lots of things we do, but no matter where we are, that, that ultimate end game is once you discover how wonderful, how awesome it is, how spectacular it is to follow Jesus, it's to share. Now that you know, now that you understand how amazing it is to follow God, you should share that. So think of all the things you share. Think of all the things you share naturally. Um, I'm, I've become, I have become, I didn't always read books. When I was a kid, um, I thought reading books was something that old people did and that, uh, that you, you didn't really spend your time doing. It was, kind of a, it was kind of way too slow of a process. Now, you can imagine a kid with a little bit of ADD, that sitting down and reading a book thing is a bit tough, right? If the, especially a book that's been assigned by your teacher. You know, how many times can you read Dick and Jane without getting just a little bit bored, and then I kept getting to the word because. I told you, because was always a difficulty for me. I could never get that word right. It didn't make sense to me. Too many letters making too, many, too few sounds. It should have been because. Right? Isn't that what it's supposed to say? Because. Something like that, instead of just because. Anyway, I digress. To understand what it was like to read a book as a kid at, at five, six, seven, eight years old, I just couldn't do it because the words got in the way of the imagination. The words got in the way of my imagination. When other people read to me, my imagination was then free to roam. But to just read it myself was a very difficult thing. Now... I have, have kind of become a bookworm. I've become a book lover. I've learned to let the words go in and let the imagination still roll. And with those two things happening, it's better than any movie you want to watch because you get the, the, the full 3D experience in your own head. It's very cool. So when I'm discovering a new book, I'm like, hey, check out this book I discovered. It's awesome. You should read this. And so I'm immediately sort of sharing the idea. I'd look at this book. Look at this author. Look what I read. It's cool. And I, know I have friends who do that with you. I have a friend who sends me a biography every year or so. A list of books that he's been reading with a little bit of a, a bibliography with a little bit of an info, of information about each book. It's so cool because I don't have to plow through a bunch of bad books to get to the good ones. He kind of gives me a list of the ones he's read that were good. If By the way, if you read a bunch of good books, I'm happy to take a bibliography from you. Because I don't have have time for boring books. I don't have time for bad books. So if you've read some good ones and you you want to send them to me, send them to my email. It's in 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 the church bulletin. You can send them to me and I'm happy to take a look at them. I may have already read some of them. But we share things that have blessed us. Right? We share things that are blessings to us. Music. Books. When we get something new, we, we love to share. When we, we get a new car, we get something that we've just, that's new to us, and we like to share what, what we've experienced, what we've learned, what we've gotten. We love to share those things. Jesus, once he explains the amazing, the awesome nature of what it means to follow him, you realize that the idea that you were covered by God's grace in this, in this immense movement toward God was a phenomenally new thing to these folks. They had all been taught that you had to earn God's favor. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You have God's favor. You already have God's favor. He loves you. He loved you even when you didn't like Him. And when you turn for home, as soon as you turn for home, you have that covering of His mercy and His grace as you grow, as you walk. And He shows the process of walking. He says, now that you know this, share it. Tell somebody, your whole reason for existing is to be the salt of the earth. So, just recognize, just feel it for a moment. That's your reason to be. The reason for the believer, the reason for the person who discovers a relationship with God to exist is to be the salt of the earth. So, I want to talk a bit about saltiness. I want to talk a little bit about this. And I know we, a lot of you folks have heard some of this stuff before, but salt was used as a pr- for preservation of food. Is it still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you go into almost any 7-Eleven, any gas station uh, that has a little, a, a little store connected to it, you walk up to the counter and you see salted meat. Whether or not you know it, whether or not you noticed it, there's dried meat at the counter almost every time, right? It's beef jerky, it's Slim Jim's, it's some kind of dried meat laying there at the counter. Very often one of the things that's done in the preparation for that dried meat, which you think about it for just a second, just consider that term. Dried meat. The next time you think about somebody, two people said yummy. <laughs> two people up in the front. So, uh, if you said it in the back, I'm, that's, I, that's on you. I heard these guys. But so just think about laying a slab of meat out on your sidewalk, waiting until it was dry, and then eating it. That's kind of the picture I've got there. Dried meat. So there you'll find that at almost any, any, any 7-11 quick stop, you walk up to the counter and there's dried meat. That process has been known for centuries. They knew that if you put salt on meat, that, it, that something was going on there that would preserve them. I mean, they I didn't know why. I mean, one of the, one of the old philo- ancient philosophers, one of the Greek philosophers said that you were actually the salt was providing a new soul for a dead thing which is kind of creepy all by itself. So the salt provided a soul for you to eat later. So it's, it's, there's something weird and creepy about that. But, but that was kind of the impartation of a soul through salt was what they were saying. But, but the bottom line is they knew that it helped. And they used salt to preserve things. So, so let's, let's recognize that there's a preservation in being salty. There's an element of preservation in being salty. And the second part, and just, I'm only covering these two, the second part of that is that there's an element of flavor in salty. How many of you have had mashed potatoes with no salt? Raise your hand. No salt, no butter, no milk. Okay, this is just a potato that's been squashed. How's the flavor? Yeah, kind of kind of not awesome, right? A mashed potato with nothing is like, I don't know, it's kind of like eating wet paper or something like that. It's just not that good. It just doesn't have a lot going for it. It's just pretty bland, pretty nothing, pretty, uh, you know, it's food, but that's its only quality, right? You're happy to have the skin because at least it has a little bit of flavor in it. So understand that part of what goes on with salt is flavor. Salt provides not only preservation, it also provides flavor. So we have the two elements just for the day. We're just cover these two, two things, preservation and flavor. What are we covering today? Preservation and Flavor, that's all we're going to cover. There's other elements to it, but we're just going to cover these two today. So first of all, let's recognize that in a sinful world, decline, decline into sinful and broken and and torrent and trouble is natural. It is to be expected. We live on a sinful planet. The decline of that planet into a worse and worse state is to be expected, right? The Bible says the world waxes old like a garment. It wears out. It's getting old. It's just going to get worse. That's what the Bible's description of it is. Things are going to get messy. Things are going to get worse. Okay? And so we we look around us all the time trying to figure out what time of the day, what time of life it is, what time of eternal life it is. Is it the end? Is it near the end? Are we close? Are we far? What's What's the place where we are? Let's just recognize decline is normal. And let's recognize in that decline, every generation is going to see it get worse. Do you buy that? If the, old wa- if the world waxes old like a garment, it went from good and new when Jesus and when God made it to worse and worse and worse, and it's going to be a natural downhill sort of experience, and it is only the mercy of God that keeps it from blowing up on us. It's only the mercy of God that keeps us from just being completely destroyed by the whole thing. So... Before we start shouting into the darkness for being dark, let's recognize that that is normal for our planet. Decline is to be expected. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people. This decline into a bad situation is normal. It is what is to be expected in our planet. Okay? So let's start with that there. So, now, what is the role of the believer in a planet, on a planet, that's going into decline? If part of it is preservation, it's to slow the role of the decline. To slow the decline. To lower, or to raise the incline of that process, of that plane. To do what we can to slow the decline into destruction. So how do we go about the business of that? How do we go about the business of slowing the decline of a planet in decline? Well, think about it for a sec. Every time you stand in resistance to the destruction of the world around you, you slow the decline. Okay, So you're sitting at your job, you're doing your normal thing with your job, it's going on about it, it's just happening, you're, 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 you're there, you're connected, and somebody comes up and gives you the opportunity to cheat, steal, manipulate the situation. Somebody comes up and says, hey, if you do it this way, you can get more money for less work. Or if you do it this way, you could go home with something you didn't earn. Every time a believer says, no, I'm not going to do that, you slow the decline a little bit. Every time a believer refuses to engage... In the, in the sinful practices of everyone else around. you, I mean, you can look around at your whole shop and say, everybody here is stealing from the boss. And be the one guy who's not. The one gal who's not. And you know what you're doing then? You're, you're, you're raising that angle just a little bit. You're affecting the decline. You're influencing that decline. You're influencing the people around you. And you're saying, look, I'm not going to be party... To that. Now, you don't have to stand up in the middle of the whole crowd and say, you guys are all thieves and I'm telling the boss. All you really have to do in that moment is uphold your own values. When the stories start to be told at work, now, I, does this happen with ladies? I don't, in mo, I'm, I'm more and more shocked with women's behavior in the modern times. I think women's behavior is on the decline. <laughs> Sorry, you guys are becoming more like men and it's worse. Because we've been bad for a long time and now you guys are trying to catch up. Don't. We don't. You don't need to catch up. Men can get really filthy in their conversation pretty quickly. Locker room garbage talk can happen pretty quick with guys, right? Now, fellas, if we're in that situation, we have to be willing to be the guy who doesn't think this is funny, right? You have to be the guy who's willing to just go, all right, and walk away. Or just say, hey, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's funny. To be able to stand in the face of people who are, who are making comments like that and be the one who's going to stand out. Now when you do, you know, you know some of these guys are going to, going to come at you pretty hard. You're going to become the, 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 the direction of their disdain after that. They're going to start talking about you and calling you names and do whatever. But you've got to be man enough, man, to stand up in that situation. That slows the decline. If somebody in the room says, that's just not funny. Now, ladies, again, I've never been a girl, but I, I, from what I understand, from what I've watched, from what I've observed, women seem to be getting into the potty talk too. When I was a kid, you did not hear women cuss. You did not hear women curse. And in fact, when I was a kid, I was taught never curse in front of a woman. Now, that's from a family that was pretty good at cursing, but you were never supposed to curse in front of a woman. Because that was to degrade society, to degrade the culture. Ladies, come on. You don't need to do this. And in fact, if your lady friends are doing it, call them on it. Be a man about it, ladies. (laughs) Call these other friends of yours on this. Literally, do we really need to go there, ladies? The cultural decline that's taking place. Don't jump on the men's boat. We need to get our boat turned around. This has not been a benefit to our society. This is not a cultural good direction. So can I just put it out there? Ladies, can you stop your friends from cursing? It's embarrassing me. Right? The guys embarrass me enough. The ladies embarrass me. I guess I said enough. You get my point. In the act of preserving a declining world, to stand for principles that relate to morality and to God is to slow the decline. It's to give opportunity for somebody who's really feeling uncomfortable as well to have a compatriot. Because you know, you stood in that circle with a bunch of other people who are doing things that you're just uncomfortable with and they're going on about it and as it's kind of rolling out there, you're uncomfortable but you don't want to say anything. And you're kind of holding back. Well, somebody has to be the first, and the first might find that they have a companion in the group who's like, "Yeah, that's not funny. That's that's not cool. You know, your racist jokes need to stop. You just need to you need to, you need to cut it out. Or you, the the kind of potty talk that we got going on here, guys, it's just not, it's just not good. It's not good for us. It's not good for our families." You know, if your child was sitting here, would you do this? If your wife was sitting next to us, would you do this? Or if your husband was here, would you say this? Come on. Now, I know that seems very hard to do. That's That seems like confronting something, and it is. It's confronting the decline and the demoralization of the culture. As salt and light, to be able to say, following Jesus is so awesome, I'd like for everybody to experience it. And so... And I'm going I'm to step out and I'm going to say this is a better way to go about business. Do you think that might help? It might do something to change the world we find ourselves in. The simple act of living like Jesus helps preserve morality by honesty, moral language, and valuing people Above all else. Simple things, right? Honesty, morality, valuing people. That's pretty, it's, it's pretty core Christianity. It's, it's nothing on the fringes at all. I mean, this is mainstream what it means to follow Jesus. And so I want to challenge you in the face of a declining culture to hold honesty as, as, a, as a, a solid anchor point that you won't, you won't pull away from. Morality is a solid anchor point, a second anchor point to hold yourself solid no matter what comes. And valuing people as that third, that trinity of anchors in your spiritual life that that carries you forward and defines the behaviors of your world. Whether you're in business, whether you're an employee, whether you're retired, whether you're in school, wherever you are, those things can go with you. They're completely transferable to any circumstance we are called to preservation second we are called to add flavor we are called to add flavor what's your flavor if people were to look at you and say hey yeah susan's coming over today um uh what would be the next thing out of their thought their mind would they say, that's great, that's awesome, she brings joy, she brings peace, she brings such a, a great spirit when she comes over? Would that be what they'd say? Her flavor is to bring joy to my life. Her flavor is to bring peace into my house. Would that be the flavor that they would say? If they said, hey, Frank's coming over today, uh, would they say, hey, Frank brings a sense of, 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 of morality into my family. He, he lifts everybody that's present. When I go golfing with Frank, I love the way I feel around Frank. What would be your flavor? Are you sauerkraut? Now, I'm German, and I don't, I, maybe it's just in the DNA, but I actually like sauerkraut. But is that what people think of you? Here comes my Christian friend, Robert Louis Stevenson, in his diary, kind of in a surprise entry, he says, I have been to church, and I am not depressed. Think about that for a second. The man is surprised that he went to church and he wasn't depressed. Now, I don't know what his pastor was preaching on that day, or usually, but it, the pastor or the people were making this guy depressed. So think about that. Is that what the world expects of church? That it's going to be boring and it's going to be depressing and I'm going to leave feeling worse than I when I got there. You know, that's what the television says about church every time, pretty much. When you see a a television program and there's a church experience going on, when you see a movie and there's something going on with church, the the world describes church as a place where you get discouraged and depressed. You know why? Because moral decline confronting with church creates a collision that has to be spoken of. And the only way to make that collision seem okay for the declining morality of the world we live with is to degrade it into something that's really not worthwhile. Robert Louis Stevenson was a regular church goer. You talk about the temerity of a guy, the strength of character of a guy to keep going when he usually goes away depressed. He needed to find another church, That's what I think. You need to find a different body of believers to attend. Uh, Roman Emperor, Emperor Julian describing the church in the 3rd century. Describing the church in the 3rd century, 4th century actually, in the 300s. When he describes the church in the 4th century, Roman Emperor Julian says, Have you looked at the Christians closely? The sun shines for them and they do not see it. So we're not new to this behavior pattern of not being joyful about following Jesus. Jesus says, it's awesome to be a follower. It's so cool to be a follower. It's such a blessing to be a follower. That's the introduction to his sermon. And then he says, so go be salty about that. Go share that. Go take that around. And a couple hundred years later, there's such a bummer bunch of people that the emperor looks out there and goes, man, have you looked at these people? The sun shines on them. They don't even notice their sun outside. They're just a really depressed bunch. So what are we bringing? What is our flavor? What are we carrying into the community? If people see you coming, do they cross the street? Like you're some kind of a broken gang member or something. You're a member of this gang that leaves sadness and depression in your wake. What would the world be like if the if the believer was always joyful? You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the first ones in the list, is joy. It's right there, top of the list. When the Holy Spirit gets in you, you have joy. So you have to ask the question, is the Holy Spirit in me? Right? Seems a reasonable question. All right. I just I'll just prove it scripturally. Way back in Deuteronomy 16, be joyful at your festivals. They're having festivals every every seven, every few months in in Israel. Be joyful at your festivals. These were not glum, sad depressing things. They were joyful times when the whole group of the church was to get together and celebrate. Be joyful at your festivals. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows. He's trying to make sure you cover everybody. Everybody in Israel is supposed to have a good time at these festivals. Everybody who lives in your town is supposed to be blessed by the festivals you're having. So if Passover's going on, festival. Pentecost is going on, festival. When you are there for your celebrations, for those moments when you're closest to God, when the congregation gathers, it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to be uplifting. I was hoping some points would come there, but... Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you Everybody who follows God, everybody who takes refuge in Jesus, everybody who takes refuge in you, be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. The guy who's walking through the grocery store, whistling, Christian guy. The lady who's humming a tune as she's looking through the rack at the counter in Macy's, humming away, Christian lady. You know how we know? Gladness and joy. They bring forth singing. That's what's supposed to look like. So how's your faith and your joy? How's that Holy Spirit implant going for you? Is it bringing out any joy? Are you ever smiling? I love people whose whose reaction to everything is a smile. I love being around those people. I love that first reaction smile person. Now I have to admit, I'm not the first reaction smile person. And I'd like to get there. I'd like to be more like that. That My first reaction is a smile. My first reaction is often a curious, I don't know. I don't know what to put on my face because I don't know what to think about what just happened. And so I don't know why I find myself smiling in the wrong time. When I've got something bad to say to you, I usually lead with a smile. And people think, what's wrong with you, buddy? We are supposed to be this different kind of folk. Heaven is ours. We have the assurance of the covering of Christ's blood. And that's supposed to make us joyful no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. It's supposed to be different for us. Psalm 100 verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. The strongest argument for the gospel is not what you say. It's who you are. The strongest argument for the gospel is not the ten texts you memorized. It is the life you've lived. The strongest argument for the good news about Jesus is not in your behavioralism. It is in the smile that's on your face. The strongest argument for the gospel is that it has blessed you so much that you're glad. So what's your flavor? How are you flavoring when you mingle with the world? What's your flavor? Are you enhancing the world? Are you blessing the world? Those around you, are people glad to see you coming? Because that's the call of Jesus on our life. The strongest argument in favor of the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is a loving and lovable Christian. Wow. We shall go out. Out with joy and be led forth with peace the mountains and the hills will break forth with singing there'll be shouts of joy and all the trees of the field will clap their hands with joy let's pray Lord God it is it's a little sad our lack of joy. We ask for a change. We ask for the infilling of your spirit and the outflow of gladness and joy. We pray that we we might live in such a way that people want to be around us. We pray that we might live morally in an immoral place and joyfully in a joyless situation. We pray that we might be the kind of counterculture that attracts people to you, that speaks highly of your covering and your blessing and your grace. In Jesus' name.